I'm so glad I'm not preaching on those texts today. <laughs> we have a real gift today, and I'm, I'm really excited about this morning. Uh, this, today we have, the, like I said, the Barrett family, uh, Josh, or Jake, and uh, I just lost your husband's name, because I know your name is Merritt, and, and I was going to say Josh, and I was like, wait, it wasn't Josh, it was Jacob, but it's not Jacob, it's Josh. Yeah, Josh and Megan Barrett are here with their family this morning. Megan has been serving as the preaching pastor at New Covenant Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, not quite a sister church in the diocese, kind of like a cousin church. We've got a lot of uh, uh, common denominators that we share with New Covenant there in Cleveland. She's been there for the past two years and was recently ordained as a deacon in the Diocese of St. Anthony. She served the church in the Middle East before ending up working as the residential life director at Lee University for the past six years. She has an undergraduate degree in theology, a master's in holistic child development, and she and her husband, Josh, have been married for six years. They have two beautiful children, Isla and Isaac. How old are your kids? One and two. One and two, that's easy, isn't it? One and two. They're currently, Josh and Megan and their family are currently preparing for a move. They're going to be relocating to the Arabian Peninsula, where they're going to be serving in an organization that's focused on peace building and ministering to people who are suffering from the trauma of war. Megan, in just a couple of weeks, will be ordained as a priest in our diocese, in the Diocese of St. Anthony. And at the end of this month, her husband, Josh, will also be ordained as a deacon. And we're really, really excited about that. I am particularly excited to hear from Megan today. I've heard nothing but wonderful things. We've had some great discussions. And I'm so excited about the ministry and the work that they're going to be doing in the Arabian Peninsula. So welcome Megan Barrett as she comes to speak to us this morning. Okay, I'm not used to uh, the lapel mic here, so. <laughs> Sanctuary, it's so good to be with you all today. Um, yeah, I just wanna thank Father Paul and all the staff and clergy for inviting us here today. It's truly a privilege. Um, yeah, so you heard a little bit about our family um, and we're just so grateful for uh, the family we found in Dosa too. Uh, we were telling the bishops the other day in a meeting that we were in that we really don't believe we could do this work uh, that God is leading us to do without the care and support of this community. And that includes you all too. And so we're just, we're really grateful. It's truly a gift. But these days, yes, our family is here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> we have moved from Cleveland, Tennessee recently to North Carolina um, as we're in process of preparing to move to the Arabian Peninsula. We're hoping to move there in 2024 once all of our funds come together. Uh, we're traveling often, uh, sharing about the work that uh, we'll be doing, raising um, financial support, but also just spending time with so many wonderful people. And we'll be here in Tulsa until Thursday, so uh, we have a little bit of time and we would love to chat with uh, some of you, maybe over coffee too, if you would like. Um, we've been looking forward to being here though. 
Before we jump into the homily today, I do want to give you just a brief picture of the work that we will be doing. I'm going to be a little bit more vague uh, because this is being recorded and it's, uh, we have to just be a little bit more careful. But I would love, like I said, to share more details with you in person. Um, that could be after the service. We have um, some of our materials that we have set up uh, outside in the foyer, um, but also in person too over the next few days. So we're going to be in the Arabian Peninsula, and we're going primarily to learn, to listen, and to serve an organization that has been running in the region uh, since the 1960s. The NGO, or international nonprofit is a good way to put it sometimes, uh, focuses on peace building leadership trainings, mental health first aid programs for children and families, uh, entrepreneurial programs and economic programs to help bring financial stability to individuals and families. And there's a few more things that they do, but those are the main things. Uh, the NGO and the leadership team that comprises it uh, are dedicated to training and encouraging local peace builders in a region of the world that is experiencing so much violence and war. And we need peace builders. We really do. But yeah, they, the NGO, like I uh, shared earlier, focuses on peace building, but also working towards uh, forgiveness and reconciliation and justice for those who are most affected by crises that are just out of their control. And so it's all of these values, all rooted in the teachings of Christ, this fuels the work, it fuels the organization, and we aim to create safe spaces where ordinary people can experience hope and peace in the midst of tragedy and war. And one of the most beautiful things about this organization is that it's running by the locals uh, and who are really passionate about seeing their communities that are uh, battered being transformed. This incredible team is comprised of both Muslims and Christians, uh, underground Christians, most of them, and they're supported by an international team, which we will be part of. I'll be serving alongside a local um, woman managing several of the mental health programs, and Joshua will be working in operations and communication. Communications. Uh, all the international team members raise their own support, and so uh, this is so that the local team members can receive full salaries, and there's about 40 uh, local team members. So we're at the point in our fundraising process uh, where boldness is becoming more and more essential for us to be able to get ready to do the work that God is calling us to do at the beginning of next year. So Father Paul will share a little bit more about um, how this will work at the end of service. Um, but I just want to go ahead and say we need your support. Yes, financially, but also through prayer um, as well. But financial support too. And our greatest need in that area is just monthly contributions uh, to make the work sustainable for our family. And like I said, we do need your prayers uh, in the whole, all of the DOSA family, but also from you all. Uh, and we really just count it a blessing to work with Christ in an area that, in a region where God is at work, despite maybe what our eyes tell us. Um, and we're just praying that peace the peace and love of Christ would continue to blossom in the deserts of the Arabian Peninsula. God is moving and working in the Middle East. Again, amidst tragedy and violence, it's often difficult for us to perceive, 
But we love and serve a God who brings something out of nothing. Who adores the people of this region, this part of the world, who are made in his image and created for more than the lives offered to them by the powers that be. So we'd love to share more with you and we'll see you tonight. Joshua will get to share with you and you'll get to hear from him, which I'm glad for. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit for today. Let's talk about this passage. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not going to lie, nor should I ever lie. But when I came to the gospel uh, passage in the lectionary, I was stumped by the words of Jesus. Uh, This is a somewhat regular occurrence for me, and I'm hoping I'm not alone in this. I don't know if you ever open up the Bible and you're reading what Jesus is saying, and I'm scratching my head. I don't know if you all uh, can sympathize with that or not. So Father Paul told me I didn't have to use this lectionary passage, but I couldn't get my Old Testament and hermeneutics professor out of my head. Dr. Ricky Moore taught a few classes that I took during my time at Lee, and he always talked about how when we read scripture, we aren't just reading the text. Scripture is reading us by the power of the Spirit. As we face scripture, the Spirit is exposing things in us, uncovering our wounds and the things that need healing, our wounds that cause us to wound others. And whenever we are faced with a text that makes us uncomfortable for any reason, it's important to lean into that discomfort and invite the spirit to reveal not just what this text mean and what this text means, but most importantly, what God wants to do in us through this text. So in coming to our gospel passage today, I brought a lot with me um, as I was preparing and reading it. And I remembered all of the various ways that I have heard this passage interpreted for better or worse. Different interpretations and preachers have emphasized different things. But generally, this passage created a bit of anxiety in me. And uh, there are a number of parables that Jesus speaks on, but this is sort of one that's considered the, in the eschatological category. And let's just say we have heard um, many interesting teachings. There are plenty of books out there on the end times, right? Many predictions even. And so while I was praying into this passage and pondering and, and yeah, just meditating on it, I realized with the Lord's help that I often feel afraid that some of the interpretations that I've heard are true. (laughs) as if like perhaps this parable and the interpretations that I've heard confirms what I've heard other people say about who God is. Harsh, maybe punitive. That God is eager to close out those foolish bridesmaids. I don't know you. That God is waiting to catch us, not ready and without oil in our lamps. And the wise bridesmaids in this text seem so exclusive, at least in the interpretations that I've heard. And it's hard to know, like, who's in, who's out? How do you know if you're wise? How do you know if you're foolish? Um, But then, you know, I've heard people and teachings uh, about Christ's return in a way that caused fear and anxiety and uncertainty about God's loving character. 
the response of these emotions, I think, is natural to try to manage the uncertainty by figuring out timing and meaning of Jesus's words more and more. I love when Jesus tells his disciples in the previous chapter, Matthew 24, 36, that even he doesn't know the time or hour of his return. And if Jesus doesn't need this information, neither do we. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and scripture isn't meant to be a roadmap to figure out Christ's return. When we come to these texts that speak of the kingdom of heaven and of Christ's return, we must remember who God is revealed to be throughout the whole of scripture. God is love. God is more good than all of the goodness we could ever know, more than all of the goodness we could see or experience. God is not two-faced or inconsistent. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is our starting place. When we approach these kinds of parables, we are often drawn first to the character that seems to represent God. In this parable, the bridegroom. And we also often give little attention to the fact that there are other characters in this parable. These characters are humans like us, whose actions are motivated by their wounds, fears, and insecurities. And as Joshua and I were talking about uh, this text together, he wondered about the motivations of the bridesmaids. Are any of them reacting with completely pure motives? I mean, certainly not if they're people like you and me. <laughs> it's easy to focus on the outcomes of uh, which bridesmaid is wise and which ones enter the banquet and which ones had oil. But yet the parable ends with Jesus saying these words, keep awake therefore, for you neither know the day or hour. It's not make sure you have oil or be wise, it's keep awake. And I find a few things to be interesting about this idea of keeping awake. In verse five, it says, all of the bridesmaids have fallen asleep as they were waiting. The wise and the foolish, they all fell asleep. And Jesus' Jesus's exhortation is for them, not just those who didn't enter the banquet hall, but for all. And in the next chapter in Matthew, guess who falls asleep in Jesus' darkest hour? The disciples. They fall asleep in the garden as Jesus is sweating blood. I mean, <laughs> I think this just points to how familiar God is with our human frame. Are we not all wise and foolish all at the same time in different ways and in various moments in our lives? I mean, I can be acutely aware of my own foolishness at times, even after moments someone may be deeming me wise. And I, as I've thought about this too, our, our lectionary passages have been leading us towards Advent. The season in the church calendar that is marked by waiting, as we've talked about earlier. Waiting for Jesus' coming like the very human bridesmaids in our parable. 
our tendency to, is to fall asleep, to grow fatigued in our waiting. I don't fully understand this parable and I'm not gonna pretend to. I mean, they're parables for a reason. <laughs> I do want to say, however, that distractions in our lives have a way of lulling us, causing us to grow weary, not weary, but grow drowsy <laughs> in our attentiveness. Drowsy in our attentiveness to the things of the spirit. And I can be the first to say that I have a tendency to become distracted. And distractions can come so easily for so many for different reasons. And it often, it often keeps us from facing the pain and the fear in our lives, as well as the, the pain and fears in the lives of those around us. Our fears about ourselves, about God, distracting us and lull us to sleep. Perhaps these bridesmaids who were deemed wise were distracted by their need to be ready. So much so that their hearts were hardened to those who were not ready. And perhaps this parable isn't so much about those, uh, about who is in and who is out of the wedding banquet because of their own choices, but rather about those who might miss the banquet because of the stinginess of those who have been deemed wise. I wonder if this is why Jesus, is, Jesus encourages us through this parable to keep awake, to be attentive to our dispositions as we wait for Christ's return. Our dispositions, muddied by our fallenness and our wounds, can lull us to a place where we don't hear what the Spirit is saying in life's most crucial moments. We even see this with one sleepy disciple in Matthew 26, who after falling asleep, lops off the ear of the high priest servant in order to defend Jesus, completely missing Jesus's heart and purpose. Our fears and wounds that lead us astray are real. And we can't bear the pain and fear alone. As the church, we proclaim weekly that we are not alone, that we are in need of one another and of the great mercies of God. Hilary of Pontier speaks of the time of waiting before the return of the bridegroom as a time for repentance. Lord, free us and forgive us of our distractions that lull us to sleep the distractions that keep us from loving God, neighbors and enemies. God forgive us. How do we keep ourselves in a disposition of active waiting that keeps us awake with Christ through the watches of the night, that keeps us with our neighbors who feel like they too are sweating blood? One way the church has done this and continues to do this is by coming to the table of the Lord. Coming and professing that indeed Christ will return in loving glory. Coming and receiving the sustenance that we need from God who offers it to us freely without charge. We come to the table to remember who we are and whose we are 
so that when we see the pain in our lives and the pain in the world, we see Christ there. So that we don't just see someone in distress or without oil, but we see also Christ there with them, with us, present to the pain, feeling the pain, knowing the pain intimately. In seeing Christ there, our love and gratitude grow more and more. For the pain and fear, though they are real and they're there, aren't the swallowing whole we thought that they were. They're the heart of Christ with and for us, swallowing up death, hell, and the grave. And like today's epistle reading, uh, which we didn't hear, but uh, it reminds us that we do not grieve as others grieve. We do not grieve as those who do not have hope. The grief and pain and fear are real, but they are not our end. Christ is our end, and this is good news. Christ, our victorious, loving, kind bridegroom who longs for us to come to him with all of our fears, our pains, and maybe the pain we are carrying for others or communities. We come to the table to stay awake with Christ, to stay awake to our reality to our identity and the truth that Christ is indeed with us. Even in the midst of chaos and sorrow that our world faces, Christ with us. And we come to this table to partake of joy, joy in the heavenly reality. I don't know about you, but I want to partake of the joy that we have in Christ. Joyous hope, because again, we do not grieve without hope, praise God. And we come to this table for God to strengthen us with God's joy and hope in Christ. So church, as we come to this table today, whether you have been wise or foolish, whether you have stayed awake or you have fallen asleep, Come, for Christ is our portion. Peace to you, sanctuary.